That's more like the Jeopardy song that you just sang. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> I'm Danielle Yed, and you're listening to Critical Faith. This podcast is coming to you from the Center for Philosophy, Religion, and Social Ethics at the Institute for Christian Studies. ICS is a graduate school of philosophy in Toronto, where I'm a junior member. This week, we're wrapping up our podcast for the year, so joining me are my junior member co-host, a man who needs no introduction, Mark Standish. Hello. And also joining us is our ICS academic dean, Gideon Strauss. Hello. This year, we've gotten together with members of our ICS community to talk about all things faith, scholarship, and society, and the many ways those things interact. We hope Critical Faith has given you a bit of a glimpse into the everyday life of ICS. Today, things are going to go a little differently, as we take a look back over some of our highlights from the episodes from the past year. So, here we go. First, for a briefer rendition of this episode's Don't Miss This segment, we want to let you know about two things you should not miss out on. First is this year's convocation and the exaugural address of our former ICS president, Doug Blomberg, which is happening on May 17th at Regis College. Uh, if you're in town, swing by. It's in the evening. I want to say it's at 7, and I'm getting confirmation that it is at 7. Um, yeah, so come by and celebrate our graduates for the year, uh, as well as uh, see, see Doug off in celebration. Uh, so that's May 17th. Another thing you should not miss out on is our new issue of Perspective. It's hot off the press. You can find it on our website. Check it out. It has a lot of reflections from alumni. Um, Nick Ansel wrote a piece. Ron also wrote a piece. Um, Mark Standish also wrote a piece. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that'll be up on our or that is up on our website. Uh, some of you will be receiving it in the mail very shortly. Um, we actually have people here putting them in envelopes right now. Bless their hearts. So for this week's episode, we are changing things up. We have had a great time hosting this year. I can attest to that. Can attest. Also, getting the hang of hosting this year, which I can attest to that. Um, it's been a lot of fun getting to talk to various parts and members of our community, um, hearing some unexpected things and hearing some expected things in a new way <laughs> definitely <laughs> uh it's always a joy to 
just sit down and have a chat with the people who are around here. Um, and we hope that you have enjoyed it as well. So we just wanted to take a moment at the end of the year to kind of have a look back and share some of the highlights that, well, highlights for us from recording this year, as well as drag Gideon back into the recording studio as the this was his brainchild this year. Um, so yeah, we're just going to go around and share a few of our highlights. So Mark, what was a highlight or a selection of highlights for you from this year? So um, I'm new to ICS as a full-time student this year. And uh, one of the things that's really struck me is the lineage of ICS in that people studied under other people that were in the Reformational tradition um, and sometimes studied under people that are still around ICS um, and are sort of carrying on uh, the Reformational tradition in a new way. So um, part of our podcast that I was really interested to see and hear um, was people's stories about the older generation, even older than than the generation of our uh, emeriti, um, in that a lot of people talked about the effect of H. Evan Runner on um, mm-hmm. their philosophical imagination, their imagination as scholars. Um, and so it really um, sparked an interest in me about the importance of H. Evan Runner and learning more about him um, in general. And then going to a younger generation, um, a lot of people talked about uh, Jim <laughs> and like Dean talked about how so this G- Jim Altice, right? yes, yeah. yes, Jim Altice. Uh, he uh, Dean talked about how he the first time he met Jim and which was coincided with the first time that he met Jack Caputo or the only time I don't know if he's I met think him. It's the only time, yeah, yeah, probably the only time. Um, and how that drew him to ICS. And I had the the privilege of going to. Jim's 80th birthday, um, where he had the privilege of sharing many stories um, while he was wearing his uh, new Oilers jersey, which he didn't take off for days, I'm pretty sure. Big big Oilers fan? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, the party was on Saturday, and we had a seminar on uh, Wednesday, and he was still wearing the jersey. (laughs) 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 And uh, I I was very struck with how much joy that Jim has, and it comes out in his podcast um, and in people's uh, podcast talking about Jim, about how much life he has Mm. um, and how much he loves love. And (laughs) so that really struck me too. And then, yeah, obviously going to the youngest of generations and seeing his impact on uh, Dean, for example, was really, uh, really interesting and intriguing and, and hopefully uh, seeing myself as part of that lineage going forward. Speaking of Dean and that like lineage, what I was thinking back to that episode, what I really loved about what Dean brought out was that that lineage was so much like an openness and like mm-hmm. this kind of like whole life authentic way of being and teaching that was what he got captured by to begin with and it seems like that was also what captured Jim in his own relationship to like his mentors and things like that Hmm. and that that seems to have come up quite often but 
that that was how Dean characterized um, that lineage for himself here. I thought that was really, hmm. that struck me a lot, and I liked that. I thought oh, that was very great. true. Yeah. Huh. So I was wondering as you were talking about, you know, your experience of the lineage, you know, through the podcast and otherwise, uh, to go a little bit beyond the podcast limitation, you also did the interdisciplinary seminar this term, also with Jim and with Hank Hart and then with Nick Ansels and with Bob Sweetman and with other students. What would you could you think of something that stood out for you about either the lineage or some of the emeritus professors who participated that you know that that you felt gave you more of a sense of who they are or what they care about? Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah, I think the the biggest thing was at the IDS, which um, is where we have a bunch of faculty um, and and a bunch of students bunch three in this case students <laughs> um, and they all do the same readings um, and then all interact on a relatively uh, level playing field um, what was fascinating to me was sort of getting behind the scenes um, in terms of what are the conversations that are going on with the faculty and what with a with a philosophy faculty in general um, and being privy to those conversations and seeing what it's like to be part of a faculty um, and being in a, in a sense what it's like to have been part of a faculty for a long time mm. um, and so seeing like the stories that uh, Jim would tell about Hank um, <laughs> or or lots of stories they, they both had plenty of stories for us to hear um, and a, a given like we talked about uh, Mekis who was uh, a slightly more obscure um reformational thinker out of the free university uh this is in amsterdam in amsterdam yeah, yeah. and how he was part of um he would come to hank's reading group um and they would talk about his work and none of his work is translated into english which is uh, well actually it may be translated into English, but the translation might be bad. <laughs> and there was debate around that. Um, but it was, it was really fascinating to see how these people were really, um, really in touch with and formed by, uh, this tradition, which for me is more, um, there's much more of like an abstract connection to, whereas this is very concrete. Um, and, and it was really, really fascinating to see them go back and forth about these stories that were formational in their own learning and coming of age as scholars. Oh man, this makes me think so much of, a an article that, uh, Calvin Seerfeld, who's also an emeritus, uh, wrote, uh, for the journal Philosophia Reformata with the title Footprints in the Snow. It's one of my favorite pieces of academic writing of all time. And it's a, it's a study of tradition and, what he, what Calvin Seerfeld calls traditioning and how you go, you know, one generation, another generation, another generation, how you have sort of shaped that legacy. Um, yeah, that sounds awesome. And that is Definitely. a great article. Oh, good. We agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cal Stefan, well, everyone here, their thoughts on like traditioning because tradition is a big topic. 
yeah. Yeah. here. Yeah. One of the big topics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and kind of how you can make sense of being a part of a tradition in today's world. Yeah. Any tradition. Yeah. And then like our specific or the specific tradition here. Yeah. Um, those are always interesting conversations. To, so to see them yeah. take it up as a very live thing. It's always very interesting discussions. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Gideon? What were some of your highlights from the year's podcasting? Oh, man. I, I love this year's podcasting. I really did. Um, so I think where I would probably start. So my my overall favorite thing is just the sheer fact of the existence of the <laughs> podcast. Oh, we know. <laughs> I think you're just meaning existence in general. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the existence dot, dot, dot of the podcast. <laughs> Um, <laughs> very philosophical of you to have joy from existence. I um I love the fact that it has achieved a certain uh, format, a certain tone, a certain um there's a certain ambiance to the episode episodes. Um I love the weekly rhythm of it. It's one of my favorite things when he drops, you know, that's um I listen to podcasts mostly when I'm walking between places and so upload it when I've got Wi-Fi and then listen to it as I walk sort of in stretches. Um, and I've, I mean, I've got to say, I think what does that for me is, well, it's the two of you, right? So hurrah for Daniel Yet and mm-hmm. Mark Standish, who were the hosts uh, since I think November, right? When we started the yeah, weekly. Yeah, November. I think so. Yeah. 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 So, so the podcast had been going for some time before that, and I think we've we've got to primarily thank Dean Detloff. Yeah, this is for the if fact this that iteration, it exists. If this iteration is your brainchild, the the podcast, existence of the podcast yeah. is Dean Detloff. Dean is the primordial. Yes, the father, the, the ur father <laughs> of the of the podcast. So a big thank you to Dean Detloff, but. Really, I think what I'm what I'm loving about the current iteration is the tone that the two of you, so Mark and Daniel, set for um, for each episode. And so, my highlight related to that really is that the first episode after the last episode. Um, um, listeners don't know about the last episode where we we recorded an episode and then we couldn't make it happen oh, because of sound yeah. quality and there's you know like sadness around that because it was an awesome episode the never to be heard the lost mythical last episode, episode. <laughs> but the first episode I think that the two of you did as hosts were an interview with um, with Ron Capers who's the president mm-hmm. and for me just the fact that like here is the new iteration and it's awesome so that was like a major highlight for me. Uh, second highlight for me was um, the way in which I think this iteration, the weekly iteration of the podcast, really did introduce students and faculty um, in a way that people could get a sense. You know, we had this sort of format where people told the story of their own academic uh, maturing from undergraduates through to PhD to being professors or through to a PhD if that's where they're at at the moment. Um, and I think in terms of getting a sense of the school, um, there was like a little mini series at a certain point that Grace Carhart had mm-hmm. um, recorded and edited around three, the- uh, four themes. So um, Wonder, Heartbreak, Hope and Worldview, which were kind of um, compendiums of the, the responses of each of our faculty to questions around wonder, heartbreak, hope, and worldview. And I loved those as an introduction mm-hmm. to the school. Yeah. Um, um, I loved all of the episodes, but I, would, I particularly loved the worldview episode, mm-hmm. you know, for an exploration of, 
you know, people talk about a Christian worldview and this school comes out of a tradition of a Christian worldview, sort of like Abraham Kuyper and all of that. Yeah. But the way in which our, our faculty um, interacted with that notion in that particular episode. So that's like a real highlight for me. You want to say something, Danielle? I do. You can continue. I'll, You'll get around to I'll it? I'll get okay. to it. <laughs> and then I think the third and last thing, uh, well, I really enjoyed interviewing Heath Carter. So we have this twice a year. So biennially, we have a, um, a symposium on scripture, faith, and scholarship, where we invite uh, scholars who are not part of the faculty to join us and to talk about the role of scripture and faith in their own scholarship. And the episode with Heath Carter was really enjoyable. Um, I, I love the way in which Heath is kind of like re- excavating a history for what he calls social Christianity. And so a Christianity that's socially engaged um, in the American context. And so we got to hear him talk through that in a kind of lecture format. I got to ask him questions. And so that's probably my my third highlight was having Heath Carter as a guest and having that episode out there in the world. And I mean, I saw someone reposting that episode on Twitter just this week saying, if you're feeling kind of like rootless, as a Christian on the left, then, you know, here's an introduction to mm. a history that you can connect to. Yeah. No, he brought out a lot of really good things in that seminar. I really appreciated being there as well. Since you're such a fan of those worldview episodes, my question for you is what would your, thinking back to the questions that Grace asked about uh, that, what would your contribution to those episodes be in <laughs> not hour-long <laughs> no, format. No, <laughs> not hour-long format. Well, I love the structure, um, and I'll, I'll take some parenthood for the structure of those episodes because the framework of Wonder, Heartbreak, and Hope is one that I've worked with for years. Um, what I love about it is the one of the seminal little books that came out of ICS is a little book by Al Walters, Albert Walters, called Creation Regained. And it's been translated into, I don't know, 15 or more languages. It's had an enormous influence around the world, certainly had an influence on me and my peers in South Africa. Um, came out in the 80s. We would have read it in the early 90s. And it, first of all, gave us a framework to think about how do we view the world if we do so in a way that's informed by the Bible. And so he has this little framework of creation, full redemption. Um, as a summary of the narrative of the Bible um, that I found really helpful to think of the Bible as a coherent narrative. Um, and then also a celebration of material creation, both on the creation and on the redemption side, and then, you know, sort of like an anti-Gnostic celebration of the created materiality of the world. And, the you know, in, in this tradition, people would all often talk about the lordship of Christ over all of life, you know, mm -hmm. and quote Abraham Kuyper <laughs> saying, there's not a, you know, Jesus Christ out over every square inch of reality saying, this is mine, you know. And so, yeah, this is mine, this is mine. And so, um, so while I benefited talking legacy so much, you know, coming as kind of like an adoptive, Caperian into this tradition from other places. Um, what what 
struck me was the way in which you can also think about the Psalms as subjective responses to what God is doing, right? Mm -hmm. So if that story is God creates, God judges, God redeems. So if you think about the overarching narrative of Scripture as a story of what God is busy doing in the world, and that you can think of that in terms of creating, judging, and redeeming, for me, the notion that, you know, the the Psalms are paradigmatic for our responses to God uh, with all of our lives. And so you have these moves of Psalms of wonder that respond to creation, Psalms of heartbreak that respond to judgment, Psalms of hope that respond to, to redemption. Um, that has been profoundly helpful for me, both in my own spirituality shaped by the Psalms I mean, you can go to Walter Bregemann, you know, who talks about those same moves as orientation, disorientation, and new orientation. You can go to Thomas Stroger, who talks about our um, reflection, rage, and rejoicing. Um, so there's, you know, there's many people who would read the Psalms in terms of those moves of wonder, heartbreak, and hope one way or another. And I just, that's just one of my basic frameworks. So I, I love those episodes partly because of that. Yeah. Mm. Take it with you everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean, I'm a, you know, slacker Benedictine in my spirituality. So my, <laughs> my, I read through the Psalms, I don't know, like a hundred times slower than your average Benedictine monk, but I do. And, um, I didn't, and feeling I didn't. those moves. Yeah. I didn't know slacker Benedictine was a thing one could be. <laughs> oh, that's totally my spirituality. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. What I uh, what I found interesting was uh, the how interdisciplinary the those podcast those episodes were. Like you started off with these yeah. stories of childhood or whatever, um, and then there was always a poem or something integrated. It wasn't just us riffing off of some philosopher, although that did happen. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, it was it was really great how much interdisciplinary stuff was integrated. Yeah, yeah. I think i got to say, listening to those episodes, I thought, man, this must have been an enormous mountain of work. Editing, oh. mm -hmm. You know, yeah. <laughs> because, I, I mean, like, you know, Grace found snippets and, like, wove them together into a kind of a tapestry. Um, but the result was just beautiful. So, hurrah, Grace Carhart. Hurrah, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Go, Grace. <laughs> uh, that's That kind of ties into, I guess, what my highlights or highlight was for the year as well, which isn't tied necessarily to particular episodes, but kind of came through in a number of episodes. Um, was it was tied like you mentioned narrative and like kind of uncovering this narrative that all these people are tied into in some way um what i found exciting about talking to all these people throughout the year um was just seeing where their passions came through mm -hmm. and kind of how they discovered their passions even not that well, and for some you know it was more apparent from the get-go that like this is what they loved and they wanted to do this and they wanted to like <laughs> they've always been a medieval person at heart <laughs> <laughs> um but then for others like the episode we did with rebecca she was always kind of in that world of art but then finding her way through to where she is now was very much a journey um and just kind of how it happens along the way, like that it's not, 
find it, I find this very reassuring considering the difficulty that I have <laughs> deciphering this for my own life, but that those moments just kind of happen to you often and they come, you know, from unexpected places through the people that you're with and through things that you just find interesting uh, and like kind of follow your nose to. Um, so that was a lot of fun to hear how that came out. And particularly, I particularly enjoyed um, kind of mining that in people's undergraduate experiences. Oh. So hearing how it was just like a moment with a specific professor that like made them realize these mm. things or how it was just taking this class that they kind of had to take that they kind of yeah. discovered this whole like world of questions that they wouldn't have had a way into as easily if at all without um yeah i thought that was really exciting to see i have also <laughs> unrelated i've also just enjoyed getting over my like <laughs> Uh, unsurety, let's call it, about podcasting in general. <laughs> oh. You had an unsurety in general. Oh, yeah. And my, I've, I've told a few people this, I guess. Uh, You've yet to tell me. Oh, really? Your faithful I think, co-host. I think I have. <laughs> <laughs> I find the idea of podcasting as well as the practice of it to be, uh, as a concept, the most completely antithetical thing to my character really okay. ever <laughs> so it's been kind of nice to force myself to do it uh, thank you gideon uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh wow i i didn't know it was so sort of character logic characterologically antithetical oh, but um i'm glad that that was that is a word pushing uh, myself yeah challenging wow. growing myself yeah. Pushing your boundaries. Yeah, yeah. look at me. Wow. <laughs> so much self-development going on. Oh here. my gosh. I didn't yeah. even know. Didn't know. Just a seed growing in the dirt. <laughs> so Danielle, could you tell us one one person's story that you found interesting in terms of uh, that was uh, a development in them becoming a scholar or like significant in their lives from their undergraduate experience that was stood out to you? Well, it was interesting. I guess I'm going to go back to the first episode that we had with Ron as well. It was interesting for me to kind of discover the similarities in our mm. uh, background, I guess, in terms of growing up kind of in the religious tradition um, that kind of ties itself to ICS, the Reformed churches and stuff. Uh, and then finding yourself heading off to undergrad and discovering all these new things and then not knowing what to do with yourself. Hmm. Uh, but then finding that life-giving, even though it's not doesn't feel stable necessarily. I don't know if that's the word I want exactly, but it's not like familiar. It's unfamiliar and exciting somehow. I don't know. Hmm. But yeah, it was interesting to hear him kind of narrate his his journey from, you know, Alberta. Yeah. yeah. Alberta. Yeah. Uh, through a similar kind of reformed undergrad, undergraduate institution, and then 
off to ICS as well. And who knows, maybe I'll be president of ICS one day at this rate. <laughs> Not. <laughs> so it's interesting because that I have had conversations with people considering whether they wanted to come to ICS or not, who referenced that episode, that specific episode with Ron, right, you know, at the beginning of your tenure as hosts, as being particularly helpful to them because they could relate to the journey as it unfolded in that setting. Now, I mean, the person I'm thinking of also came out of that similar sort of Dutch-Canadian or Dutch-American continental reformed yeah. church background. Um also went to uh, an undergraduate school that shared that ethos or that that perspective. Um, and so they found it really interesting, not just the undergraduate part, but sort of the story of Ron coming to Toronto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, I think that was actually a really helpful uh, episode for more than one person thinking about the journey. Yeah. yeah, no, it's true. And it's mostly to do with the fact that Ron is very good at being honest and like aware for the most part of kind of what went on for him in those moments, which makes it easy to identify with if mm -hmm. you can, because he names things really well, I think yeah. in terms of, yeah, coming to a, a very different city on like on your own or, you know, away from kind of whatever the world that you've been familiar with up to that point. Um, and then, yeah, facing all those transitions with, I hate to use the word authentic because it seems overused, but like. It's inauthentic? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. I get what you mean. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like a. It's a vulnerability of a kind to like yeah. be able to name those things for yourself even if you're not like some things i mean i'm in a different position in my life obviously than ron is but like even if things don't feel resolved that you can kind of take comfort in the fact that you know this isn't the first time someone's gone through something like this mm, in the world right yeah, yeah so yeah i think he's very good at bringing that out reassuring the the children along the way, <laughs> which I would consider myself one, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're children of Gideon, so. <laughs> <laughs> Just brain children. Okay, well, in that case. <laughs> Just brain children. And that brings us to the last of our regular segments. What's your pleasure? This is where we get to kick off our shoes and talk about the other things that we do for fun. The movies and television shows we're watching, the sports and games we play, the food and drink we make and enjoy, the music we listen to, and so on. So, Gideon, what's your pleasure? <laughs> so let's see. Uh, this week, I have three pleasures. Um, I have recently discovered a new podcast. Love podcasts, by the way. Um, this one is just two episodes in. It's called The Redemptive Edge. Um, it's interviews with people who have started nonprofits or for profits, 
by means of which they're making a significant difference in the world. It's hosted by Andy Crouch, who some people may know from reading a book called Culture Making, although he's written a number of other books. That's that's a book that's really sat with me and made a difference to me, Culture Making. Uh, he's doing it in partnership with Praxis, so P-R-A-X-I-S, which you can Google, or Praxis Labs is their website, uh, which is an accelerator for enterprises. So they in, invest time and money and networks and training in uh, sets of folk who are starting, oh no, not starting up, but who, who want to scale uh, non-profits or for-profits that make some significant difference in the world. So uh, The Redemptive Edge, uh, find it in your local podcasting um, platform and uh, provider and um, listen to the first two episodes uh so that's podcast um a song i've been listening to again and again and again is a song called new brighton it's named after a neighborhood in port elizabeth which is a city in south africa my birth country um and the singer's name is nakane so it's n-a-k-h-a-n-e n-a-k-h-a-n-e nakane um Nakani's done a whole bunch of new songs. This is a song on his new album, um, and it's a song about driving to church with his mother and his grandmother and trying to kind of come out to them, um, among other things, as no longer a Christian. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's a really poignant song. It's, um, it's, I mean, his music is kind of dancey, you know, it's um, informed by house music. Um, and in this particular song, he is joined by um, another well-known singer called Anoni. Uh, so, uh, New Brighton by, by Nakane, which is one of the very few pop songs you will ever hear that has the words seraphim and cherubim in it. <laughs> um, and since in church yesterday, yeah. <laughs> on Easter, you know, the, the words seraphim and cherubim also occurred in the liturgy. I was sort of alerted of, uh, by that. And then lastly, um, you guys have been talking about places to go in Toronto, you know, like coffee shops and stuff like that. And my, I feel like I've got sort of like a, um, like the magnetic needle of my heart turns towards whenever I walk out of, you know, 59 St. George Street and I want to go and eat something to a place called Her Father's Cider Bar, um, which is a cider specialization bar and, and eatery and, uh, just, uh, drinking through a flight of ciders is worthy. But I'm boring, and so every time I have a sparkling cider by Taws, T-A-W-S-E, which is a dry sparkling cider that I just love and adore, and which I've discovered since you can actually have in cans from, like, stores. But I love having that with their juniper-spiced fried chicken. So juniper juniper chicken and tall cider at her father's cider bar uh, on Hobart, like 10 minutes walk from 59 St. George Street. Totally, totally gets me every time. They have an unreal selection of ciders. They have like hundreds. From around the world. It is mind-blowing. If if you're a cider head, this is where you want to be. Yes. Uh, When I went there, it was a while ago, but I, I got one of the flights and went for the weird things uh i got one that was very spicy i cannot remember the name of it it was very spicy though but not in huh. a like typical kind of cider spice like cinnamon right, clove cinnamon-y. whatever yeah, yeah. it was like 
chili powder and oh, wow. it had some zing to it. Wow. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's a good fix. I had no idea what, you know, the range and possibilities of cider would be. And it's been a revelation for me since discovering her father's cider bar. Yeah. Mm, yum. More cider bars. Uh, so my pleasure this week is what I'm dubbing the song of the summer, um, which <laughs> is high praise. Yes. I also dub it this. <laughs> <laughs> it's called, uh, this life by vampire weekend. Um, and it's very like, you feel like you're in California, but in fact, if you listen to the lyrics, it's very sad. Um, it's really about, uh, this person's, um, trying to avoid pain and then realizing that he can't avoid pain. Uh, so the first line is, baby, I know pain is as natural as the rain. I just thought it didn't rain in California. Uh, and yeah, it is, it, is a, it is a really fun song, uh, but also a really sad song. So, so every year, uh, the NPR show All Songs Considered does a Songs of the Summer episode, mm -hmm. and I now know what I'm going to be looking for. See if they've got the song by Vampire Weekend. What's the name of the song? This Life. This Life. Which wow. I think is off an upcoming album, Double LP, which is coming out in late May. Okay. Well, I'll be listening for that. Mm. My pleasure is, or has been for a little while now, uh, the series of Peter Whimsy novels <gasps> by... Dorothy Sayers. Oh. My. Those are absolutely awesome novels. I'm very impressed. They're hilarious. Harriet uh, Fane and Harriet Peter Wimsey. So I've only read one of the series that has Harriet Vane in it so far. Um, what have I read? I read the one where she supposedly poisons her Her lover. lover. Yeah. Yeah, that's like the first one which she occurs. Yeah. yeah. And then I read a there's one with bells and there was one with cricket and an advertising murder must advertise. That was one that I read. And then I just finished Whose Body. Um there's a few more that I need to go through. Oh wow. They should be filmed here in the building fifty nine Central Street at Knox College. And that brings us to the end of our show this week and the end of our shows this semester and year. Mm. Oh, sad. If you would like to know more about the Center for Philosophy, Religion, and Social Ethics and the Institute for Christian Studies, you can visit us at icscanada.edu. If anything from this week's show piqued your interest, you can listen to our past episodes. Uh, and you can also email us at criticalfaith at icscanada.edu. You can also find all of us on Twitter. You can find my co-host as at Mark Standish. You can find Gideon as at Gideon Strauss. And you can find me as at Beware the Yeti. You can also follow ICS as at INSCHR. And from the heart of ICS, thank you all for listening. This has been Critical Faith. If you like what you heard, subscribe to us on iTunes and consider giving us a review. It helps people find us and keeps us on their radar. Most importantly, tell your friends and... As the great philosophers and sync once said, bye bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>